Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. What is up, everybody? It's the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7 with me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. And uh, we're live, again, just like we were after the game the other night. I, actually, I can't say yeah, we. No, yeah, yeah, don't say we. Don't say we. Don't say it was we. really like Rusty for a while. <laughs> we, we Dogs 24-7, 24-7 was live after the game. Rusty and Kip uh, did the heavy lifting while I was doing the Zoom call and, and talking to the guys after the game. We're going to close the book on the Clemson game. Uh, we gave ourselves 48 hours to, to, to kind of get over it. Georgia's get, gave their players 24. Uh, we talked to Kirby today. It was in person, in person media, person media availability, uh, where uh, Kirby Smart kind of expressed some concerns over COVID and, and talked about injuries, talked about some other things. Uh, we're going to get to that. We're going to pose a few questions uh, going forward based on what we saw uh, Saturday night. There's a lot to talk about here. Hey, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you, Jake. Go ahead, Rusty. When's the last time y'all have done in-person interviews in Athens? Uh, prior to the 20, uh, 2020 Sugar Bowl. Uh, we've been in, heck, I'm, you know what, Rusty? I'm not even sure that we got anything then. Yeah. I don't think we did. Maybe it might, you know what? It might have been the early signing period, that like the early signing, 20, the early signing day 2019, December 2019. Yeah. How was the layout? How, how, back then. Oh my God. All of us. How was the, uh, how was the layout? Did you guys do that in the in same the- old, same old for Kirby? Uh, oh. but for players, they backed us up about 10, 15 feet. Um, and then kind of made that a little different. Talked to Latavius Brenny, Jake Kamard, and Warren Erickson, uh, and and that's kind of how that went. But you know, other than ha- other than masking up and uh, and and you know, kind of not being able to work in the media workroom, everything was uh, everything was pretty similar as far as Kirby went. And uh, I don't know, man. I don't know which way I prefer it after today. We'll see uh, how they do it going forward. Uh, I was, you know, but to hear Kirby kind of say how concerned he was about COVID while we're actually meeting in person for the first time was actually kind of odd. And we're going to get all that. But let's let's close the book on Clemson real quick. And, Rusty, I got a question for you. When you look at that game, what do you think is going to be more indicative? What, what, what element that I'm going to mention do you think is going to be more indicative, more consistent, more the common thread throughout Georgia's season, the way the defense played or the way the offense played? Uh, certainly, I think the defense. I think the defense is elite. We've talked about that. There's still many, many questions on offense. I'm, you know, people break these things down and get into panic mode, and that's the reason why we all have jobs because people care. You know, that's something that we have to uh, we kind of digest that as well and what's going on. But I know this: Georgia is elite on defense. They're deep. Um, the the back end of Georgia is where kind of the questions are. They played pretty pretty damn good in my opinion the other night. But here's here's uh, here's reality. That front seven is is ridiculous. I mean, it, it is huge. They're fast. Um, you know, those linebackers are able to just roam free. Those guys can run. If you do that, those guys can cover. 
and 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 I've said that many times on the junkyard that that, that the secondary's best friend is going to be that front seven. So you take Stokes and and, and and Campbell and those guys that are gone, and Richard Count and all those guys are uh, probably a little bit better than what George is playing right now, especially experience-wise. But the front seven, man, you've got only a few seconds to turn that thing loose, or you're going to be, you know, you saw a picture of, of a six foot five, 250-pound quarterback folded up. I don't even know how that dude was bending that way, um, you know, in between a couple of Georgia players. So, um, you know, they're going to face some guys that can move around. I don't think that's DJ's game as much uh, to extend plays. You know, that guy could throw it, knock a building down. But you give Georgia a set target, and that's how you end up with seven sacks. They, they're, they're coming. And uh, we'll talk about that more. But I think the Georgia defense is is what you're going to see out here. There's going to be a game for people going to score points. That's just that's going to happen. Uh, but you look at that front seven, man, I'm telling you, it, it gives you nightmares if you are an opposing team. You know, I'm going to go ahead and go here. Um, Listen, Georgia's defense has been great in the past. Okay, 2017 defense was really good. And, and, you know, that 2019 defense was outrageous. I mean, statistically unreal. But Georgia hadn't had a defensive front like this. Because when I went back and watched that, Jordan Davis popped off. Jalen Carter popped off. Devontae White may have had a better game than any of them because he was dominant. Uh, Zion Logue came in and played well. Nazir Stackhouse came in and played well. Warren Brinson comes in and gets a hurry on the quarterback. That's before we get to the outside linebackers and how Nolan Smith and and Adam Anderson played. Uh, That's without even talking about how well the inside linebackers play. I mean, N'Kobe Dean was probably your defensive MVP, and I think he may have had the only two mistakes – one missed tackle, one pass interference penalty in the front seven all game long, okay? Georgia hasn't had this type of of, of dominance, of potential mm-hmm. in the front seven, and, and they just keep running guys in and out. They, it, it was crazy. I, I've never seen they, – they would just, like, remove three or four players at one time, send three or four more in there, and there was no drop-off. Rusty, you guys – Well, just one thing. I want you to watch, Jay, because I know you're going to do a film study and get into this. I want you to watch Jalen Carter on his sack and what he does to their tackle parts that that is that you talking about picking somebody up yeah I mean, his uh know. parks's arms went into the air and he was like I mean, acting like yes. he tried not to fall off a building backwards he was almost like hans gruber yeah he i was mean, almost I, hans gruber from die hard he was like whoa i mean it, that that right there i mean this is this is a, a p5 powerhouse clemson they're, they're down the line we don't have to beat that down but to see a guy that that to do that to a, an offensive lineman, I mean, whew, you watch that when you do your film study, make note of that one because I watched that play a couple of times. Right. One thing I want to say before I throw it to Kit, keep this in, keep this on your mind, Georgia fans. At some point this year, you're going to be upset with how the defense played and you're probably going to, you know, kind of sound off and say we're too good to play like this. Mm-hmm. All right. And at some point this year, you're probably going to think the offense has turned the corner. All sure. right. This is the nature of how the sport's played. Yep. how it goes, game by game. And listen, I know that's not fun. We want to project and, and you know, listen, we're all going to be talking about something different and maybe there's more hope after Georgia plays Alabama, uh, UAB for the, uh, for the offense. Maybe there's a different discussion, but this is going to change game to game and what matters. And I know it's not sexy. I know it's not fun, but what matters is how much better this team gets. And for right now, I'm not really all that interested in trying to glean too much from one game. 
uh, because things are going to change. But the thing I think you can glean from this one game is that Georgia is going to be an absolute force up front for the rest of the football season. And I just don't think there's anything that's going to stop that from happening. Uh, even an injury or two, I don't think stops that from happening because Georgia's just got too many guys up there uh, and, and they've got a chance to be really good. Maybe a little thinned outside linebacker, but as far as defensive line, in a really, really good spot. Best spot Georgia's been in probably in, in, in maybe even two decades. Back to I'm talking about Marcus Stroud, Richard Seymour, John Sullivan days. I think they're probably as good as they've been since then and probably deeper even then now than then. Uh, Kip, offense or defense, which is more indicative of the play on Saturday. Sorry it took so long for us to get to it's you. It's all right, man. <laughs> you guys kind of laid it out there pretty easy for, for me with this. But, I mean, it's pretty clear one, one side of the ball was a lot – was healthier than the other one. And I think that's really where, you know, we saw a lot of the same players that you're going to see out there throughout the season for Georgia's defense. And just to, to echo what you guys talked about, I mean, we, we talk about Dan Lanning and, and how he, he came out there and had an outstanding game plan. And it's all about timing. It wasn't like Georgia was sending the house. They were being aggressive, but it was, I mean, they were getting these sacks with, at the four-man front, and the first one was on a three-man front, but then you had the next five on a four-man front. It's not like they're sending the house uh, against Clemson. So, you know, it was just a really impressive job by that group. But really, I mean, also, that's secondary. I mean, Latavius Brinney, you know, that that pass breakup in the end zone he had, and then on the next play, he boxed his guy, his guy out in the corner and made sure that the, the pass wasn't catchable for him. The one guy that – I guess may have been a starter who was out this game, Tyke Smith. You know, we had talked about the camp that Latavius Brinney had had. I, I don't, I think Brinney was going to start in that game regardless, just based on the camp he had. And I mean, Tyke's got to, he's going to have to come back and really pin his ears down and, and, and get after it in practice because Latavius showed enough to, to, to earn some playing time moving forward. Then you, you combine that with Lewis seen out there, you know, really coming on strong, late in the game, uh, knocking a ball away. Obviously, the play by Chris Smith, the play of the game. And the fact that you didn't hear Darion Kendrick's name, I mean, him going up against his former team, that was one of the storylines. You know, how is he going to do in the big game? You know, in the big games last year for Clemson, it seemed like, you know, maybe he gave up the big player too. You didn't hear his name in this game. And that tells you all, if you're not hearing a quarterback's name, they're doing their job out there. So I think the secondary – you know, obviously the pass rush, as Rusty said, it makes their job a lot easier, but they did their job on the back end, and it really, really limited Clemson's offense. And it kind of makes it more difficult to really gleam a lot from the game because now we don't know what Clemson's offense is going to look like for the rest of the season because it really seemed like they were not able to get anything going. Is it a product of Georgia's defense? Is it a product of just Clemson's offense not being where it needs to be? It's just not something you're used to seeing under Dabo Sweeney. I mean, this was definitely the most dominating defense performance against the Clemson team under Dabo Sweeney. So they got to go back to the drawing board and kind of uh, figure figure some things out. But looking at the season, looking forward, I mean, I think that – I mean, Kirby Smart told you, even Jermaine Burton wasn't healthy out there. And when you know that he's not healthy, when you know Arian Smith's not 100%, when you know John Fitzpatrick's not 100%, you don't have Darnell Washington out there, you know, you, you don't have Dominic Blaylock out there. I mean, that really – that tells you that the offense shouldn't be where, it's, where it needs to be, and that should be a positive. Like, Georgia fans should be kind of excited about that, is that 
against the top five team, you know, they were able to do what needs to be done to win. And now they can focus on getting healthy. And I mean, I think that we haven't really seen what Georgia's offense will be able to, to look like moving forward down, down the year. I mean, are they going to face a better defense than the one they face in Clemson in this game? Maybe not. So I, I think as far as which unit could look very different toward the end of the year, I think there's a much greater chance that, Georgia's defense faced one of the best offenses it's going to face this season than the other the other side. I mean, as far as is Georgia's defense going to – I mean, Georgia's offense going to face a better defense out there? I don't think so. Is their offense going to face inferior defenses toward the rest of the season? I think, it. you know, it's very possible that, that they're able to, to beat up on some teams and kind of do, you know, impose their will on, on teams both in the run game and the passing game. So – there, you know, it's it's brighter days ahead for the offense, and, and the defense is already showing you that it's a championship caliber unit that can that really really give Georgia a chance to uh, to get to Atlanta and and you know maybe have a chance to win a game there if they can d- take care of business week by week. Yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's this it's almost the same thing I would say if Georgia would have lost this game. And that's that. It, all that matters now is you got to get better. You just, you got to get some kinks worked out. Got to get healthy. And Georgia took a step back in the health department in that game, losing Tate Rattledge for the season uh, foot injury. Really nasty thing there for him, and a horrible break for a guy who worked his way into a starting role. Rusty, talk to me about that injury real quick. But also, mm-hmm. I want to hear from you on this. Is it plug and play? like basically throw Warren Erickson in there like it was Saturday and that's how Georgia's going to handle it? Or do you think they're going to shift some guys around? Um, yeah, obviously, the tough, tough deal on Tate. You know, it's a young man I know. I uh, know his family. He's from my hometown. Um, you know, tough, tough deal. I think he was on play three. And, you know, as Kirby says, Liz Frank, you know, five or six months, if things go well, hopefully he can come back spring football. So, you, you know, maybe if he doesn't, you look for him to – Come back next year and hopefully be healthy and uh, get to finish up, you know, uh, where he started because it, it, he was he was having as good as camp as anybody. Uh, in fact, one person inside that building told me that nobody had a better fall camp than, than Tate Ratlett. So uh, you hate, hurt that for anybody. You hate that for anybody. But uh, he's having surgery on Wednesday. So, you know, hope the best for him and he can get back. But, you know, I don't know, Jake. I don't know that it's plug in place. Uh, I think that you had to. Warren Erickson didn't have some practice a ton. He had to step in there. And you're talking about, hey, Warren, you haven't played a lot, but just come out here and, and just get about three and a half quarters of Brian Brisey and just ho- hope for the best. You know what I mean? And uh, a Brian Brisey, but but hey, but credit to him, credit to yeah. him. Third and one in the fourth quarter, Zamir yeah. White. Georgia's got to have a first down to kind of salt yeah. that game away. Yeah. And listen, I know Brian Brisey is, is is kind of uh, is kind of worn down at that point. Warren Erickson takes him five yards down the yeah. line of scrimmage. Zeus yeah. breaks two tackles, runs over another one. First yeah. down, pretty much game over. You're talking about a running game to end it. You know, we, I, I put out a tweet about Matt Luke and his group. Four minutes and 48 seconds, I believe, to end that game. And and, and Georgia was about to punch that in. Let's, let's, I'll say it. Georgia was about to go up 17-3. to three. They downed it. First down the 11-yard line to finish the game. And nobody in the Georgia office cares about scoring another touchdown. They wanted to win that game and finish it out, and they did. But uh, Georgia had taken control of that game and had that defense on the field a long time late. So that's something to kind of, kind of tuck away for later on. But – I think, I think Jake, my opinion, this is where you're about to see some Broderick Jones. I think Broderick Jones, you're going to play a really good UAB team this weekend, and you're going to play South Carolina, and you're going to play Vandy. So, you know, you got three games before you play Auburn. 
uh, to, to, to plug in this young man and see what he can do at left tackle. And I'm not saying that's going to be the definitive answer, but I would be surprised if we don't see um, Schaefer and Jamari Salyer at guards and, and see some Broderick, at least, at least that combination at some point uh, Saturday. Uh, Warren Erickson, certainly a guy that uh, can play a, can play center, you know, can he get back to snapping? How did Van Pran play on tape? I don't know that. Uh, calls, that type of thing is what you do by center. Just on the outside looking in, Van Pran had a pretty pretty damn good game. But um, you guys know there comes a lot more playing center, you know, identifying the mics, getting a protection set, those types of things. How did he do there? We probably won't know until later on. But um, in my opinion, I think you're going to see Broderick Jones get inserted in this lineup. Uh, if he does not start, I think Broderick Jones is going to play a lot of reps, and I think that could be a combination potentially to answer uh, this this uh, injury with Tate Ratliff. So we'll see moving forward, but I'm pretty confident you're going to see more Broderick Jones in some form or fashion, and I think he's going to be playing left tackle. Kip, I got another question I'm going to get to you here real quick, but I, I want to chime in on what Rusty just said. I, I really – I think you hit the nail on the head, Rusty, because um, – uh, and the reason I think that is because Kirby had a comment. We're going to get a little bit more into what Kirby said um, later on in the show. But Kirby had a comment about the center position. And he talked about the fear of playing Cedric Van Pran at center and then Warren Erickson at right guard is that you basically increase the the likelihood that, that you're going to get one of those guys dinged up. And they're the two best centers on the football team. Um I think you're probably going to see Jamari Sawyer now that Warren Erickson is is back and snapping with his left hand and and, and working at the center position. I think you're going to see Jamari Sawyer play no center or very little because he had had to do that during preseason camp because of the injured Erickson. I think you're going to see him start to get those reps at guard, likely left guard. Justin Schaefer starts to play some right guard. And then you work Broderick Jones. And now will he start, like you said, will he start against UAB? I don't know. But but he's going to play some snaps. Heck, he played snaps against Clemson. Uh, got an illegal man down film penalty. Uh, mm. But but he, he's going to get some snaps. And I think that might be the transition. This might be the transition period for that because – you know, you look at kind of the athleticism and the power and 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 the and the uh, the experience that you're able to put on the field whenever you're able to get, especially on the interior, whenever you're you're able to surround Cedric Van Pram with Justin Schaefer and Jamari Sawyer, that's huge. And so I think that that to me, if we're placing odds on that, has the highest odds. I think Warren Erickson's always lurking there at right guard if you need him. Um, Cedric Van Pran, uh, you know, it, there's still going to be a competition at that center spot. I, I expect both of them to continue to get first team reps, and and for them to have them battle it out, it, it seems like JT Daniels is cover uh, is comfortable with both of them. Um, but but I do think it's Broderick Jones' time uh, at, at left tackle, not necessarily to just go out there and take it over, but it's his time to kind of figure out, Find if, out. If, if he wants it, you know, if he, how bad he wants it, and, and whether Georgia has confidence in him doing it. Kip, when you look at Georgia's injury situation, right this second, without George Pickens, because we just have no idea when he's going to come back, who's the guy that Georgia needs to get back the most? Well, uh, you know, I think it was just really interesting, Kirby's comments on on Jermaine Burton, the fact that he'd only practiced in, ten, what do you say, 10 to 15 of the 40 practices. You know, that, that was an Yeah, that, that blew me. me away because he's right. Like, he, when you think about it, he's totally correct but you don't draw that conclusion going into it, right? Because I'm watching the game, and, you know, he's he's had some moments where 
just on the outside, it, it didn't seem like, you know, he was really getting it done, you know, in blocking. I know that's been brought up a lot, but when you get more context, if he's not really, you know, up to par as far as that game shape and conditioning, then it starts to make more sense why, you know, he had some some tough snaps on there because it looked like most of the outside runs that really had a lot of success, you either had Brock Bowers or, or Fitzpatrick kind of combo blocking with him out there on the edge as well. Both those guys putting, you know, two two hats on one, on one defender on there. So, you know, the, just the fact that we talked about him kind of being that, mo- you know, probably Georgia's most complete receiver heading into the season and then finding out he's not ready yet. You know, obviously Dominic Blaylock's the guy that they, you know, they want to get out there whenever he's ready. Aaron Smith brings a different dimension, but I think Jermaine Burton, I mean, you look at what they had to do, their game plan, how they adjusted to what they saw from Clemson's defense when they saw that they were playing that soft zone and they were basically, you know, not going to give anything away deep. Then, you know, I mean, they had to go to that that quick passing game and kind of the, you know, the outside runs and and try to attack the perimeter a little bit. So it makes a little bit more sense when you when you start to find out that Georgia was even more banged up than, than what we thought. I mean, just three targets combined to, uh, I think, a Donnie Mitchell um, and uh, Aaron Smith. I mean, that that's kind of that tells you that it just it just wasn't there for this this wide receiving core, and it's, it's why the earlier question. I mean, obviously, this offense is is not a complete package right now. They don't have everybody out there, and I just think that if you're able to get a guy that can do a little bit of everything for you out there, and Jermaine Burton, uh, it'll really just just help everything. You know give JT Daniels a little bit more confidence to push the ball downfield, open up the rest of the playbook. I mean, it's, I just think that he's a key guy out there for them offensively right now and just has that skill set overall. I mean, and then, I mean, just Kiaris Jackson. Now, he obviously wasn't all, all the way back too, but the unit's banged up. You know, you see who you can get back for UAB and, and maybe uh, get some more looks out there and, and kind of get some more confidence you know, and JT and, and the overall group, I think Jermaine Burton would go a long way, to, you know, towards doing that for, for Georgia right now. One thing I want to point out, all right, A.D. Mitchell, you know, is a guy that, you know, we we reported the buzz on him and everything. He actually did have four targets because two of them were negated for penalty. One of them, both of them P.I.s, actually. Uh, so they went to him four times. Uh, Brock Bowers actually led the team in targets, which was – pretty interesting and and you know kirby said you know what let's don't talk about what kirby said we'll talk about that on another side of the break let's take one of those breaks real quick and then we'll get into what kirby said at today's in-person press conference on the other side this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, guys. Getting into what Kirby said, let's start off with the thought I was basically going to end with the first uh, before we went into a break. Kirby said that the 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 game plan going in was to stay ahead of the chains, and and you saw a lot of that with these play action dump offs and and you know you know quick plays. They didn't run the ball as much on first down as as teams have at Georgia in the past. They threw the ball quite a few times. You go. Before that final drive when Georgia had to keep the ball on the ground, there was a pretty healthy split between run and pass there with pass having the advantage. But Georgia used the passing game to stay ahead of the chains. They kept themselves out of third and long. They just didn't execute when they had to, and they weren't explosive. And to me, listen, I'm not super quick to be critical because it's really tough for me to do that knowing that they've just got so much more information than I've got, and I I can't really – you know, say what was supposed to happen or anything like that. There's just a lot of questions I can't answer for you. But I feel like Georgia, in a way, and, and maybe they knew this going in, I feel like they almost limited themselves with the game plan before the game ever started. And, you know, if your game plan is to go in there and just stay ahead of the chains, I feel like Georgia, you know, is where they, you know, Rusty, do you think that's a byproduct of the injuries? Or do you think maybe there was just, and I know this is going to be tough for you to say if you want to say it, but do you think there was maybe just a little bit too much respect and maybe a little bit of fear of Clemson's defensive line there? How do you look at that? Um, let me tell you where I think, just from what I believe and kind of my feel of that staff, I think the game changed, Jake, after about two series, and I think Georgia knew Clemson couldn't score. I think they couldn't drive. They couldn't, dude. From the Jake, you've you've coached. You understand from the sideline and from a once once you see a couple of series and you see how they're going to line up. You see this. You see that. There comes a point. I don't care if you've coached or not. We've all watched a lot of football. I'm telling you, after those first three drives, I knew that Clemson was going to have to have a big play or a turnover to score. I felt pretty confident that Georgia had I – mean, they were just a mismatch up front. I mean, it was every single play that somebody either – it was a split second that they were fixing to get him or he didn't make – there were some plays where he just looked completely confused. And he was, get, he was getting rid of the ball. He threw the ball. How many times did you see him throw the ball and it just land? 
Like you don't see that in a Clemson offense. Like it didn't hit. He got rid of the ball to keep from getting hit. And I'm not, you know, downgrading him or whatever, because I wouldn't stand in there and take that, no doubt. But there was a lot of miscommunication. There was a lot of times I felt like he just got rid of it. And, I, you know, Georgia fans probably want to hear this. But I think that Georgia realized that, hey, they're not scoring. Now, unless something crazy happens. I don't mean you can start from the third series and go just run the ball and check down all game. But I think kind of the game plan was a little bit different there is if we can – if they miss a field goal, okay, so that makes it a that makes it a big difference when it's only seven to nothing on a Chris Smith. It should have been ten to nothing at that point. You miss a chip shot. Usually they make uh, you know Pozlowski makes, but uh, I really think, in my opinion, and I don't know this from any inside information, the game plan kind of changed when you realize, hey, we can hold these guys to seven or ten points probably. Okay, we don't have to win a shootout tonight. So you know maybe Munkin looked at it and said, don't turn the ball over. Let's try to get a couple of drives because they had great field position. So credit Clemson's defense, but Georgia just couldn't get past the hump. Uh, but, you know, their freaking punter just – I mean, he's lights out for Georgia. I mean, this guy, you know, Jake Cromarta, to come from where he was as a freshman, this guy was shanked one every four. And I'm thinking – because I've made the comment, it's the best leg I've ever seen in my life. It, this ball comes off of his leg. It sounds like a shotgun when he kicks it in person. I saw him kick one uh, from Norcross against Colquitt County, a 50-something yarder to buzzer that was good in high school and, you know, in a, in a Corky Kale game. This guy can boom it, and he pinned them back all night long. So I think Georgia knew it was going to be a struggle for Clemson to score. They had probably the advantage of special teams, and at that point, you're thinking, just don't turn the ball over and let's see if we can drive down the field. We have to dink and dunk and score. Now, they took a few shots, but – you know, I'm getting a little long-winded here, but Jake, the original questions, I think the game plan within the game changed when Georgia realized, hey, we got a big advantage here up front on those guys. Interesting thought there. Interesting thought there. But at the end of the day, you know they would have loved to have sure. scored more points. And we're getting to another thing that Kirby said in the press conference. Kip, he talked about mistakes. He talked about a lot of mistakes. He even yeah. mentioned at one point where you watch the offensive line block and you're like, why in the world would you block that, that direction? Yeah. Things like that, like mistakes where he pointed out a play where Brock Bowers, A.D. Mitchell, um, yeah, A.D. Mitchell and uh, and Arian Smith were in the game. All three of them made a mistake on the same play. Play was play failed. Pointed out the fact that that was Arian Smith's what third or fourth game as a player, and the other guy's first game, and that's kind of where they at. So as these guys get more experience, you expect Georgia to get better. But Kip, the mistakes, and Kirby said it almost excites you that you look at a game and you see mistakes like that because you know the abilities there, but you just have to kind of clean up some of those things. What would you make of that comment? Well, other than the injury updates, that, that was the one that really caught my eye, and that's why I asked you about it because, I mean, it's one thing if, if you just don't have the, the guys out there. If you don't have the guys that can make plays, you know, there's nothing you, – you can't you can't out out coach the other team if your guys don't have the talent to, to step up when you need them to. And it, Mental mistakes, that's something you can go back and fix. That's what the film room's for. And so it is a positive. There's a reason why you, you can look at the fact that, that Georgia did not score an offensive touchdown against, again, a top-five opponent in Clemson and take that as a positive because of how young these players are out there. I think Todd Monken probably had to take some of the playbook and just and toss it to the side when he realized – you know, some of his young guys on the outside aren't going to be able to, you know, 
to block long enough for some of these plays to develop. And, you know, maybe when Tate Ravage went out, they, you know, when they're shuffling guys in, they're like, we're not going to be able to sustain our pass for long enough for Arian Smith to get behind the secondary, you know, or a, a guy to get more than 15 yards down the field. When Jalen Johnson has the longest reception at what, like yeah. 16 yards. Yeah. I mean, that tells you this is not the offense that the, that, you know, that they prepare to, to put on the field all offseason. That's no offense to Jalen Johnson. He went out there, made a play. He had walk-ons on both sides of the ball. Dan Jackson in there. Dan made, Jackson. Playing a lot against, yeah. you know, the biggest game of the season, one of the biggest games in Kirby Smart's career. And he's got walk-ons on both sides of the ball making plays. I mean, that that is still something you could take as a positive. It could also tell you that, you know, they lack some depth. They were not healthy at some key positions out there, and it, it affected what they were able to do. So I, I agree with Rusty. That is the one thing that, you know, that when they knew that, you know, double-digit points is going to win this game, then, you know, it might be still Kirby Smart's narrative as far as taking risks, but there's no reason to do that. There's no reason to go out there and, and, and take chances that you do not need to take in this game. And I think, again, other than a really, really bad look by JT Daniels, where you could see the linebackers right there, uh, he made sure not to make those big mistakes. You know, he, he threw the ball away and took a sack when he needed to to give his team a chance to – either put points on the board or, as Rusty said, Jake Camarda to put four or five punts inside the 20, put one inside the 10 in a field position game that we knew this was going to be a long battle. Those yards were really, really key for Georgia's defense to come out there and do their thing, which they did. I mean, if you have a known in this game, if you know your defense is going to be able to win their side of the ball, then there's no reason to to ramp it up on the other side and potentially put your defense in bad situations, get them back on the field quicker than what they need to be, you know, not allow them to get rested and, and put them in bad field position uh, situations. So I think the offense did what it needed to do, but also there were execution issues that give Kirby Smart a chance to have coaching moments this week, you know, with a UAB team coming to town and, and put some things in motion uh, so that they can come out and maybe use more of the playbook this weekend. Not too much with the SEC schedule coming up, but enough to make sure they take care of business at home. Good points. Good points. All right. One thing, don't want to get super deep into this because I don't know there's a whole lot of ways to analyze it, okay? But we're meeting with Kirby in person today. He gets asked about Ron Corson, says, Ron Corson's doing well. Ron Corson's probably struggling more with, with not being able to work because he's there's hardly ever been two days in a row that he's never been that he hadn't been in the building, but he also says Georgia's dealing with more COVID right now than they have since they kind of came back together as a team. Um, I know they dealt with it some last year during bowl season, and and you know that was an issue. Speaking of which, you know, kind of even impacted Jermaine Burton because Jermaine Burton barely practiced for bowl practice uh, because of that. Trayvon Walker missed the game, uh, you know, so there was some of that going on then, but. Guys, is it is it a big time concern, Rusty, that Georgia's okay. all of a sudden dealing with COVID? I don't know. That, I don't know that they're all of a sudden dealing with COVID. I think maybe Kirby acknowledged it today to let you guys know that they are dealing with it and have been. My question here, Jake, if you are a vaccinated player, and I don't know the answer, and you may not, so I'm not putting you on the spot. But I'm asking if you do know, if you're a vaccinated player and you test positive last night. What's the what is the procedure after that? 
I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think you have to go 10 days. Maybe it's days. maybe it's 14, but I think it's 10 and, or until you get a certain number of po- negatives. Negatives. And you're not being tested unless you show symptoms. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, you know, there, there's that. But um, this is something we're going to deal with the entire year. You know, we, we don't have this is not a political podcast. We're not getting into that. But, you know, vaccinated people are getting this as well. And, and you know, whatever was going on in the world. So. Uh, this is something I don't care. You look at it's a prime example tonight. We're going to watch Ole Miss play Louisville. Uh, they're 100 percent vaccinated. And Lane Kiffin, you know, was proud of his program for that. And uh, look who's out tonight. It's Lane Kiffin. So um, this is something we're going to deal with week to week. But, you know, for Kirby to mention that on the first press conference back after a game, you know, you kind of wonder who is this and who's out? Because uh, I'm telling you now. This is not, this is not, you know, people get on me a little bit because I got a little Vince Dooley or a little Larry Munson on that side. You know, you want to talk up a team. UAB is not a bad team at all. They're not a bad team at all. Watched them play the night. They got some freaking dudes. Now, I don't know this to be fact, but I heard today that if they played South Carolina or Vandy, they'd be favored in both of those games. So, um, I don't know that's to be true, uh, but but I did pass that salt on Twitter today. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. And I'll double check that, but. They, they, they're a really, really good football team. And I guarantee you Kirby Smart has had his team understand uh, those guys over there and the pro reports and all that type of thing. They're not walking into a game that this team's just going to lay down. This team's come over to play to play football and sees this as opportunity to play, you know, maybe the, one of the top two teams in the country on, on ESPN. Kip, what were your thoughts when, when you heard that comment about the COVID and how George is dealing with it right now? It's just tough to really know. And I mean, it's not for us to know, obviously that info, whatever they tell us is, is what, you know, we're supposed to have, but it could be staff. It could be support staff. You know, it's, it's tough to really know what members of the program are are positive right now, but you got to go with what the protocol is, you know, what the, the the rules and guidelines that are given to them by the conference. And they're just going to continue to deal with that on a week to week basis. I mean, it's, I mean, we're coming off – I mean, it impacted Georgia's season last season. They didn't get to play Vanderbilt because of this. And, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, – a year later, we're in a similar situation for now. And, and so that's – I mean, that's not something that, that Georgia can really – I mean, as long as they're going by all the protocol that they have as a program and set by the SEC, that's all they can do and hope for the best. I mean, and, and Georgia was a program that did not get mentioned at all last year with any COVID issues. So when Kirby's mentioning it on his own, you know that, you know, it's finally, I mean, it, it has affected him a little bit, but I mean, I, I think that if it's, if it's just a couple guys each week, maybe that, maybe that's just the, the 2021 season that, that they're, you know, they're, they're dealing with and seeing the guys out there making plays and they're banged up. It reminds you, this is why Kirby built the roster that he did, why he was brought there to be able to handle if you have a guy or two who can't play. You have to use all 85 and above. I mean, uh, beyond the 85. You know, have, have a more talented walk-on program. Get get as many guys in there as you can that can help you, you know, if, if their name is called upon. So that's just going to be this where Georgia is. And, I mean, there's really, really nothing that Kirby Smart can do about it other than have his guys uh, make the best decisions possible and, and and hope for the best. I mean, when Ron Corson's out there, you know, and, and, he, and he's he's going through it, then you know that it could be any one of them. 
at any week, including Kirby. So, uh, you know, I, he's going to do the best that he can. And I mean, every Saturday we're just going to be waiting to see who's out there and who's suited up on, on the field. That's the, the only thing we can do as far as how, how we cover it. You know, unless guys do, don't make the, you know, the trip when, when they're on the road, then we'll be waiting on Saturday to see who's suited up. That's, that's the 2021 season. That's where we are right now. Good stuff, guys. And I'd like to point out that when Georgia suits up, tees it up against UAB on Saturday, it'll be Georgia's first game against a non-Power 5 or non-Top 10 team in the last 22 games. Georgia's played 22 straight games against either Power 5 teams or a Top 10 team, Cincinnati being the only non-Power 5 but a Top 10 team last year. Up until now, they've played 22 games in a row against teams of that stature. So that's uh, you don't see that very often in, in today's college football, and Georgia's got a lot of them. They played 11 straight against teams to end the 2019 season, played nine straight to start last season. Uh, then they you know, got their top 10 team against uh, Cincinnati, played Clemson to start this season. Now they get to play UAB, which is uh, for now unranked and uh, not a Power 5 team. We'll have that game covered for you. We'll be talking more about it later on this week. But for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell from the same place. You guys take it easy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.